0: Hello and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Norman Bihar, CEO and Managing Director of the Sales Readiness Group and co-author of the new book, The High Impact Sales Manager, a no-nonsense practical guide to improve your team's sales performance. So, Norman, welcome to Accelerate. Andy,
1: thank you. Thank you for for having me join you today.
0: My pleasure. So, take a minute and fill out that sparse introduction I gave.
1: Well, I appreciate the introduction. So, I, Like you, I have a passion for sales. I've been in, uh, in sales for a long time and have kind of worked at various levels, whether it's an individual contributor, manager, senior management. And at Sales Readiness Group, we really look to improve the um, effectiveness of sales organizations. And we look at it a couple of different ways, but as you mentioned, we just released a new book, uh, The High Impact Sales Manager, and really taken a close look at the impact that sales managers can have to empower their teams. So, at a high level, we work with uh, sales organizations to improve sales effectiveness, whether that's selling skills, negotiation skills, um, or sales management skills. And I'm passionate about sales and love uh,
0: conversations like this. Oh, good. Well, that's great. That's perfect, perfect setup for us. So, when you started the company, what, what was sort of the need out there that you saw that wasn't being filled?
1: I think there was a lot of uh, programs that were kind of rooted in methodologies that had been around for a long period of time, and and not everything has changed in selling. In fact, there are many things that are, you know, time honored principles like building relationships, becoming a trusted advisor, identifying needs. But I think just the way that the it was being approached in the market and the way that millennials learned led to it for kind of a transformation in the way that training was delivered. And so we really thought that we could repurpose. Um, the learning experience in a way that it could be delivered virtually via online uh, live sessions, e-learning, workshops, and really create a better blended learning experience that was really focused on skills. So a lot of programs historically had been built around methodologies, many very good methodologies, but arguably today's workforce is moving a lot faster and people change roles. And so the one thing that really sticks with them is skills. So we decided that we would take a skills-based approach, whether that's for, as I mentioned, sales, negotiation, or management, and then really deliver the training in a way that was highly relevant to the learner and would be best retained by global sales organizations.
0: So, I guess the question I have out of that is, are skills portable or behaviors
1: portable? Well, I think that the skills manifest themselves in behaviors. So identifying needs might be a skill area. Questioning, active listening, uh, probing for opportunities would be the behaviors. So I would see the skills as being one level above the behaviors, but it's the behaviors, I think you're right, are portable, but they also make the skill portable because it's the behaviors that support the skill.
0: Okay. So I get the sense from, from some of the blogs you've written and so on that that you acknowledge this perception that from a lot of managers that sales training sort of marginally useful or they get sort of marginal return out of it in, in in many cases. So so why does this perception exist? I mean, what's what's happened to allow it to continue to persist?
1: I think that the perception exists because there's a certain amount of truthfulness to the perception. I think there's a lot of money spent on training programs and we still see it today where we are contacted by prospective customers who are very interested in running training events. This idea that I'm going to do a national sales meeting and I'm going to build in a skills workshop or some kind of training workshop or maybe even a motivational speaker as part of it is kind of a substitute for training. And We're not saying that that's not part of the training experience, but the training really wasn't well thought out in terms of the overall behavior change. So, To your point on behaviors before, what we're really trying to do is affect behaviors change. So, you know, when you when you think about developing those types of programs, I'd say you have to look at it more programmatically than from an event standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, are there really key stakeholder buy in? What will people do better as a result of the training? What's going to happen in advance of the classroom experience? Is there going to be an opportunity for skills application in the in the in the workshop? And then, what's going to be the methodology for skills adoption? And that also ties nicely to the manager's ongoing role. If the training is something that's run by a training department and the managers are kind of divorced from that, there's no reason to think the skills are going to stick. Whereas if the managers are actively coaching those skills and behaviors, the um, effectiveness of the training goes up dramatically.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jason Jordan pointed out in his book, The Cracking Sales Management Code, yeah, the mm-hmm. investment in sales management training yields a higher return than that you get on sales.
1: Right, and we're not saying that you should forego one versus the other, but we do no, think... No, so just how you
0: allocate your budget, right?
1: You allocate your budget, and I think it also makes sense that the sales managers, in addition to going through a management training, really benefit greatly by going through the sales training with their teams. They can kind of get a good sense for what skills people are very good at, where where, where there's room for improvement, and that allows them to kind of fine-tune how they manage those people, and maybe more importantly... How they coach those individuals?
0: Well, spend a couple minutes and think about this from perspective. Somebody listening to this, who's a sales manager or a senior-level manager, thinking, okay, we have feeling he has a need at some level for sales training in the in the organization. Is sort of walk through the process. You know, how do they how do they assess what they need? How do they specify it and hire the correct training resource or implement the right program? You know, instead of event-driven, you know, be more programmatic about it. May walk through some steps as, as from your buyer's perspective. You know what? What should they? What's the first step in terms of specifying and assessing your needs?
1: I think it. 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 You know, as you said, I think it begins with needs assessment. And you know, when we think about the key skills that most sales professional needs, it could be a measurement of their current proficiency and how important that particular skill is. So, if you think about you know base skills, you would think about prospecting. Call planning, uh, identifying needs, presenting value, uh, managing objections, negotiation, presentation skills, uh, closing skills. Those would be the, the skills. And you know, I think it's really important to look at what skills are as important for each role. So, if they have, you know, if it's a large organization, they have they may have multiple sales roles. They may have their hunters and their farmers in separate groups. They may have inside sales. They may have channel sales. And so I think the first thing to do is figure out what, what skills really align with each of the roles, and then to do an assessment as to where the skill gaps are that align with that particular role, and then really investigate training options that address those particular skill, skill gaps. So it may be in a larger, more complex organization that you may have three or four different training paths that align with different selling roles. And then by, by, by conducting the assessment, you can start to really figure out where those performance gaps are, and then work on a program uh, that addresses those skill gaps.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things you talked about before that I think is really important, it's almost like you have to go back and you know, you're know, you listening to this and you're thinking, okay, sales training is is the first step is really sort of, as you said, really defining the roles of the salespeople. Because I think so often companies get a little sloppy with that in terms yeah, of the I'm expectations, at- the skill levels required, the experience and so on, behaviors required. And go through and define that, like redefine it again, they may think they have it well defined, but redefine it again and um, on top of that then do you do you recommend like a you know a certain assessment tool to use to assess capabilities
1: we do we have a uh, we have a needs analysis that we use, and we use it frequently, both for the manager role and for the selling roles and you know to your point in terms of this um, you know somewhat of sloppiness that exists, I think it's um it may be just a lack of awareness. I don't think that organizations are intentionally sloppy, but I'm you know, thinking about a, um, uh, a, a national sales meeting I attended recently, and just in preparing for that, the diversity of the roles that were represented were, were different corporate divisions, different sales cycles, some more transactional, some more complex, inside sales teams, channel sales teams. So I think that one of the you know, pieces of advice I would offer is one size doesn't fit all. And then once you kind of figure out what are the skills that align with each role, then it's appropriate to use the skill gaps. And you know we're pretty proud of our, of our own tool for doing that, but I would say we don't have a monopoly on that. There are many other uh, great tools on the market for assessing skill gaps.
0: Yeah, and my point was, is use a tool, whether it's yours or, or anybody else's, but use a tool. Just don't rely on sort of your anecdotal understanding of the situation to specify what you're going to need from a training standpoint.
1: The the other piece I would add to that, Andy, is really thinking about the outcome. So, you know, one of the other areas about a lot of sales training programs is they really don't get measured. But then saying, you know, if in fact we, you know, we've identified these skill gaps and we've improved, how do we actually know that we've improved? So how are we going to actually measure the behavior change associated with the skill? And then how are we going to measure the, um, the business results? So if you think about, you know, kind of like a level three measurement, we want to make sure that actually people have improved in those specific behaviors and if we think about a um, you know level four measurement we may want to see about you know faster ramp up times for new hires, higher up, higher win rates, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. less discounting. So I think it's important to almost reverse engineer and say if we get better what's going to be the business impact because you're not prepared to measure the business impact. Uh, you may be in that uh, category of training companies who are you know our senior managers who have spent on sales training, without being able to really realize whether they have, in fact, seen a return on investment.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree 100%. That's when you would go into your, you know, looking at like a big program, you're going specif- to put specifications together. Yeah. <laughs> having outcomes in there is absolutely critical. So, having defined that, and they've done their assessment, and they've defined outcomes, then how do they go about finding the right fit for them in terms of a company to help deliver and what the program should look like? Because you know, I think too many people still to this day, surprisingly, are so event driven with their sales training, right? It's it's episodic. They think it's sort of a, a box to check on a checklist that, hey, we did that this year. We trained salespeople. Um, how do you recommend that they go about that in terms of finding that right fit?
1: I think they, they really need to look at uh, probably several different, you know, what I would call highly regarded training companies and then really look at the approach. And the specific skills that they identify, and say, first of all, do I believe that the methodology that, maybe better term, the approach that this company takes resonates with with what we're looking for from an approach standpoint? So if someone went to our website and they would see our approach, they would they would kind of get a sense for what's going to happen before, during, and after the training to really make sure that skills adoption takes place, and say so philosophically, at least from what I'm reading, or you know maybe white paper downloads or. Does this approach make sense? And then I think it's really important to take a much deeper dive, uh, make a connection with the company, uh, actually get a chance to see how they're approaching skills and behavior change, and do a uh, you know a deeper inspection of the actual um, training experience, including the materials, how that's going to be delivered, and also maybe kind of do some research on experience in similar industries. And ideally, before making a final selection, uh, speak with other clients who've, who've been through that process before.
0: Well, I think one of the key things that, that I know from experience to talking to clients that are evaluating sales training programs is that, yes, as you mentioned before, some of these come really as training to a methodology as opposed to training that might be customized to their particular needs or whatever. So, I mean, how do you how do you make that choice? Because that seems like a big investment to make. To say, okay, we're gonna just turn everything around. You know, (laughs) turn our methodology around completely and adopt this new methodology. And it seems like has the risk of being very disruptive.
1: I think it 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 becomes a more complex initiative. I think it's probably easier to drive behavior change by focusing on certain skill areas. I mean, the most common skill area we see where there's, I'll give you skill areas where we see deficiency is. We still rarely see effective call planning uh, by most uh, sales professionals. There's so much information you can gather in advance of actually uh, making a sales call Mm -hmm. that you could be quite knowledgeable. You could have a very focused call objective. Uh, The other area is really on needs identification. I think that so many salespeople are interested in presenting their solutions that they're really not thinking about how do these solutions that I'm presenting actually align with a customer's need And either remove a pain point or put the customer in a much better place than they would have been without that. On the issue of methodology, uh, there definitely is is a uh, role for for methodology change if the methodology supports a specific sales role. And I found where methodology training does make uh, some more sense is on very complex sales. So when we look at some of our advanced offerings, they do become a little bit more of a, a, a methodology based on something like an advanced negotiation techniques. But I'd say eighty percent of the sales roles we see would be better supported through skills uh, development and behavior change.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about the individual sales professionals then. So mm-hmm. one thing that I don't think enough emphasis placed upon is how the sales reps themselves should prepare for going into training. It's like they sort of show up. (laughs) It's like they're not giving a coaching about how to engage with the the training program itself to get the maximum out of it.
1: Yeah, I think part of that, you know, well, we could certainly look at, you know, the accountability of the salesperson. I think also part of that really depends on making sure from your training professionals and your your managers that the training is highly relevant. So I think when salespeople, um, you know, in many cases, they're kind of assigned to training. So it's not something they're necessarily doing of their own volition. And they aren't really necessarily, even though we're we're training sales professionals, they aren't really convinced of the benefit associated with it. So they go into the sales training uh, a little bit jaded. I think that can be um, overcome by really highlighting and previewing, and we do this in our programs, what the training program is about what the desired outcomes are and how they're going to benefit. The second issue is really to not have off-the-shelf training. If if the salespeople are smart and if they sense that the training is industry neutral and not really customized for them, they're going to tune out because they don't necessarily as relevant. So one of the things we do, and I think a lot of the great training companies do, is really make the training highly relevant. They do intake interviews. They talk to sales top performers. uh, They start to build customized exercises, customized role plays, and really focused even on cosmetically a look and feel that aligns with the sales organization and then uh, beyond the superficial really gets to relevant application exercises and role plays that are real world in nature that provide value. So again, yeah, and, I think and say, really,
0: yeah, yeah to me, I put this on the plate of the the management team to make sure that they are doing these things that the the vendor they choose that they work with provides this type of customization so that, yeah, they don't get the tune out happening because that's I mean, I've been in tra- sales trainings for <laughs> decades right, now, now we, and, and it's it's fairly uniform that yeah, if it's off the shelves sort or of standard stuff, people's eyes start glazing over. Right,
1: and I think we have a report that's available for download on our website and also a blog post on this topic, kind of a shorter version of long-term things to look at you know, in, in selecting a training provider. And it kind of gets to some of these best practices we've, we've talked about and really you know, goes a little bit more into detail on how, how you should make that, you know, some of the things you should consider in evaluating those companies and making that decision.
0: Well, one thing that that's a part of this that's really fascinates me, and I've talked about this a lot with previous guests, and it's around this topic of how much responsibility do reps have for their own development? I mean, outside the the role of the vendor, or the employee, employer, excuse me, providing training, it seems to me one of the frustrations I, I see and I, I feel is that you know, it's too much uh, passivity on the part of sales professionals to say, "Yeah, I'm going to wait." You know, for whatever training I get from the company, and not actively involved in reading books or blogs or uh, you know listening to podcasts, because it may or or whatever, to really you know invest some of their own time and and sweat into this self improvement.
1: So fortunately, I, I actually see the trend in that, uh, in, the, in that area moving in a positive direction. I think that with social media and accessibility and podcasts like yours and, and blog posts, that that information is much more available and being pushed to sales professionals by their managers and by other third-party sources. So I think the information is more accessible and easier to digest today, as an example, we do a lot of informational, complimentary videos uh, under the brand of SRG Insights, and you, of course, have your podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think the information is more available. I think part of it is a mindset issue. Does that person consider it a job or a profession? Those that consider it a profession are really looking to hone their skills and move up, potentially into management or potentially into, you know, just more advanced sales roles right. and better, more, better large, job,
0: large complex sales, right? Uh,
1: Really do take ownership, and and they really eat it up. I have a friend who who chose not to go into management, and now he's a top executive uh, in sales for a um, as a as a contributor. He manages strategic accounts for a very large Fortune 500 company, and he is always working and reading, and he's on a lot of airplane flights, both domestically and internationally, and he always has something new in his briefcase or something new on his computer. So. I think it's up to the manager to start having the distinction. Do you, do you look at this as a job, in which case I'm going to evaluate your performance, or do you look at this as really a profession? And I think that's why, you know, like everyone else, we sometimes use the term sales rep, but we try in our in our training and, and more often in our blog posts to really start referring to them as sales professionals because mm-hmm. that's the audience we're interested in.
0: I like that distinction. That's that's a good distinction. I like that between a sales rep and a sales professional. Um, yeah, I mean, I I. I'd like to be optimistic in general about things like that, and I, you know, take your word for it that you see positivity in the the direction of the trend. Um, yeah, I just sort of see it from perspective of people that provide content and familiar with it's, it's still only really reaching when you look at the you know penetration rates. It's still only reaching a pretty small fraction of of the sales population out there. So. Yeah, it's like how okay. What's what's the key to get them
1: well stimulated
0: the, to cross cross that chasm? If it to use that word from I, a rep to a professional.
1: Yeah, and I think the managers also have some accountability there. If the managers are running uh, regular sales meetings, and most managers I do I know do run regular sales meetings, they don't need something formal. They could also use informal uh, training. And so, great managers can distribute articles, they can distribute blog posts, and then they can ask one of their sales professionals to lead that conversation the following week so that in addition to the self-motivation of the, of the sales professional the manager can actually start to create some of the accountability by saying you know I saw this really interesting article on overcoming objections why don't you know I'll send it out to the team and then hey Norman why don't you uh, lead that discussion this coming Monday at our sales meeting and so there are informal ways today, or here's an interesting video I want everyone to watch it and we're going to have a discussion on it tell me whether you agree and how you think it applies to our business so I think the best managers are not just kind of viewing the numbers and doing pipeline reviews, but they're also building in a piece of skills development and incorporating that into the rhythm of their management. And that's very easy to do with blog posts like yours, or video episodes, or even articles that are that are available for distribution.
0: Yeah, I started a program this year with some clients. Um, they didn't really have a sales training budget. They're pretty small entities. But they wanted to do some development for their reps. So, yeah, we put together a you know, a little curriculum for them of books, and they read a book a month with reading guides that we put together. Um, but what they do that's sort of unique is, is the manager gives them 15 minutes a day out of the sales day to read. So they're not saying, hey, take the book home and read it. They're saying, yeah, we're going to do it. You know, it's important enough. We're going to do it during work hours. And yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. The changes you've seen in the you know, these, these small sales teams that have never been exposed to this type of material when the company says, yeah, this is important, let's all sit down and read it together. Uh yeah, it's, it's one way to approach it, I think, is you know, a way for people to gain knowledge they weren't doing otherwise.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think what I might add to that is the accountability by actually having the sales people take some ownership for that by asking them to lead the discussions mm-hmm. or come prepared back, you know, and send me three um, things that you picked up. So, actually pushing more of the accountability to the salesperson as opposed to just getting the information out there. Kind of thinking, you know, if I go on a sales call, I'm always thinking about, well, if this is successful, what actions will the customer take? So, if I'm sending this out to my salespeople, what action do I expect them to take and by when? And what we start to do is create a culture of accountability within the
0: sales organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Alright, so let's, let's, in the few minutes we have on this segment, is let's talk about your new book, The High Impact Sales Manager, it seems, I feel, there have been a lot of really good books written about sales management the last year or so. Uh, why does there seem to be, in your mind, why does there seem to be this, this focus now on sales management, this new focus on it?
1: I think it's been an area that's been overlooked in most uh, leadership and development organizations. I think that when we look at larger organizations, they typically have leadership code programs or coaching programs for their managers, and then they have sales training programs. But the leadership and coaching programs that a lot of organizations have are really designed for functional leaders. But the role of a sales leader is different. You know not a lot of your functional leaders have to manage a sales pipeline, have to actually manage salespeople, have to actually coach on selling skills. So if I'm running a, a function like uh, research and development, or I'm running a function like uh, finance, it's a very different set of skills that I need as a leader, uh, particularly a frontline sales manager. So I think that there's been a a strong realization of this gap. I think there's also been a lot of uh, strong support for sales coaching. That's the number one action a manager can take to improve uh, overall performance is to coach their salespeople. So I think there's more of awareness and based on this awareness, companies like ours and others are really working on um, programs that that are geared towards managers and what we often find, Andy, is that managers kind of get stuck in a daily grind. They, they kind of you know come to work, they deal with some personnel issues, they deal with some customer issues, they start to prepare per- reports for other for upper manager management. They attend meetings. Um, and then by the time they, they kind of get that done, the, the week's over and then you know it comes back again the following week. So we are trying to get these managers through these programs to really transcend that daily grind and think about, okay, Am I hiring the best salespeople and holding them accountable? Back to that thought of accountability. Mm -hmm. Am I managing performance and I'm really looking at the underlying behaviors that drive results? Do I have the tools that I need to produce an accurate forecast? Can I personalize my coaching so it's relevant to each person? And can I motivate and and, and inspire my team? So the purpose of our book is to really help managers transcend the daily grind and, and get better in each of those areas and I think that's not necessarily 100% unique to us, but I do think that's why you're seeing more generally in the area of sales management.
0: But interesting, you're also sort of seeing this push from some directions that you know it's all about the science of selling and the art, which I would say is what oftentimes is sort of falls under the what the coaching deals with with the manager mm-hmm. of the rep. You know, in some cases, you know, it seems to be sort of actively being shunted aside. Uh, even though I agree with you 100, a lot more the literature talking about <laughs> the need for more directed coaching uh, as opposed to you know passive non directive coaching. So it seems like you know I've been actually I was at a conference in February where you know one of the speakers <laughs> got up and was just sort of disparaging this whole idea of one on one meetings with your your direct reports.
1: So I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think there is an art and a science to management. I think some areas like science would be in areas like Preparing forecasts, I think that's kind of based on you know having a a clean pipeline, kind of having clean stages, exit criteria associated with each stages, rules associated with velocity, and that would get into the science of selling. But when I think about like uh, deal coaching and actually looking at the actual deals in the in the pipeline, I think it's much more of an art. You know, to sitting down one on one, if you're you're looking at a at a strategic deal with one of your reps. It's not, it's not generic in nature. It's not one-size-fits-all. You, you need to actually understand, well, what, what are the customers' business needs, and does your sales rep really understand that? What's the unique value that we bring to that customer? Again, that's, that's unique to that opportunity. Who are the decision-makers, and do we have relationships with them? Who's our competition, and how are they going to try and beat us? And ultimately, why will we win? So that gets much more into what you were saying in terms of the the art of selling as does kind of the one-on-one coaching and going out on calls and observing people in action and then being able to have a a, a really thoughtful conversation so we are we know we see areas where where science is important uh, particularly with CRM systems and being able to analyze and produce reports so effective managers should be very good at the science of sales management but I would actually argue that it's the art of sales management that can have a bigger impact on overall performance.
0: Right, oh, I, I agree hundred percent, if not more so. So you have a chapter in your new book titled "Where Do Sales Managers Come From? Where Do They Come From?"
1: Well, I think when well over half of the cases, and you know, probably sixty plus percent of the the uh, the, the cases, they come up from the sales ranks, and it's it's really interesting because, the, you know. In many cases, they were, they were a top performer, and the thought of a, of a senior leader, maybe a VP or SVP of sales, is, hey, you know, boy, if I promote Andy to a sales manager, he's done a great job selling, he you know has a great relationship with his customers, this is going to translate to success across his team. But the skills that you need as a as a sales rep are actually not necessarily the exact same skills you need. In fact, they're quite different for being an effective manager. So an effective manager has to be good both at selling and managing. They need to be good at selling, getting back to the point of the art of of selling so that they can do a high quality job of coaching their team. But then when you get to the kind of the science of sales management, they actually need to learn how to coach and develop a coaching methodology. They need to learn how to monitor and manage performance. They need to learn skills around uh recruiting and hiring. So when you think about the basics of sales management, you know how am I going to recruit and hire the best people? They didn't do that as a sales rep. How am I going to coach my team? They didn't do that as a sales rep. How am I going to manage performance and prepare sales forecasts? Again, they were, they were only responsible for their own forecast uh, as an individual contributor. How am I going to lead and inspire the team? That wasn't part of their role either. So it is a very different role, and we do find in many cases that great salespeople or even average salespeople can become great managers. But that's one of the reasons we've invested he- heavily in developing programs that help sales reps make that transition. And I think those that don't necessarily get training resort to what they used to do as selling. So they, they just see their job as a manager to help people sell and they end up um, directing people or telling people what to do which they quickly discover as as a manager is not a very effective way to manage.
0: So how how does how does senior management determine which are the right candidates to bring up to make as managers?
1: I think they have to really look at what drives that person. Is this someone who, you know, has a really big ego and, you know, is just really loves the hunt and is really effective with customers and it's it's about their performance. That's a person that probably isn't right for management because management is about success through others, and this person is really motivated by their own success. So if they think that this is a kind of person, and many star salespeople fall in this category, need to take center stage, they are really hurting the organization a couple ways. One is they move him to manager; he's not going to be very, he or she is not going to be very effective as a manager, and second, they're going to have a drop off in sales because the person they replace him with, arguably, may not be as as, as good. So I think you have to really look at, are there people on my sales team that have been really good mentors? You can kind of tell at the sales meetings that they participate and are interested in helping others. They don't have an oversized ego and be willing to attribute the success to others. So you start to look for some of these personal qualities in people. Are they willing to learn? Are they open minded? Are they well received by others? And those would be the people that would be most receptive to a new role and actually to learn the, the skills to, to be successful as a manager.
0: Okay. So, Norman, we're moving into the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is the hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, Norman, have just been hired as the VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. You know, the CEO is anxious to get things unstuck and back on track. And I know you can't turn around things in a day, but your first week on the job, what two things could you do that could have the biggest impact?
1: I would want to talk to every person on the sales team and kind of get their perspective on the industry and marketplace and really demonstrate great listening skills and get to know the team, maybe even a little bit more on a personal basis what motivates them. So I'd want to start to understand the industry, the competitive landscape, and the dynamics and start to also forge a relationship without making any judgments, just listening and being in observation mode, asking good questions. So that would be... Uh, one of the actions I would take. The other would be to really um, do some analysis, which gets to the part of our conversation we we're having before about the science of sales management, and really take a look at: Is it that we're um, kind of stagnant in terms of the number of calls that we're making? Is it that we are actually, you know, that we have lower win rates? Is it that we're ending up discounting more than we used to? And really start just through analysis to really understand what are two or three of the major drivers that have led to uh, stalling revenues. So again, I'd probably do one part which would really be on rapport building and building a understanding of the marketplace and my people, mm-hmm. and the other really analyzing what's happening from a sales performance standpoint and what two or three things will need to change in order to get back to a, uh, to a growth trajectory.
0: Okay, great. Good answer. So uh, some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you, Norman, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute?
1: I think authenticity. I've been at this long enough where uh, I really want to make sure that we're giving people the right answer, not necessarily what they want to hear, and really looking for good alignment.
0: Who's your sales role model?
1: I'm still a big Zig Ziglar fan. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. But <laughs> no, I think no, he's still
0: very relevant. Yep. All right, Zig Ziglar. Uh, other than your own, one book that every salesperson should read? Who Moved My Cheese? Okay, Jack Canfield. All right. Good answer. So, last question, this is a tough one of the day is what music's on your playlist right now?
1: I listen to a lot of Adele. A lot of Adele.
0: Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> have you had a chance to see her in concert?
1: I haven't. My uh, family members have gone on more than one occasion, but I haven't been fortunate enough to join us to join them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be a good concert to see. Well, Norman, thanks for joining me. Tell people how they can find out more about you and Sales Readiness Group. So
1: uh, please visit us at salesreadinessgroup.com. Our management team bios are on the, uh, on the site. Our approach is on the site. Uh, you can look at our curriculum. We try and provide as much information as possible. Also lots of white papers, blogs that people can download. So very simple salesreadinessgroup.com and uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to visit and check us out.
0: Alright, sounds good. Thank you again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen on the commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Norman Bihar, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show